0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Hey, uh, welcome out, uh, as Pastor James said. Uh, My my name's Terry. I'm one of the pastors here as well. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus uh, 19. Um, we're going to be picking up in our journey through the book of Exodus in just a little bit, Uh, but I'm glad you've been able to join us today, uh, either here or if you're joining us online. We're, as Pastor James said in his welcome, we're in this precarious place, man, between like the end of the year and not yet the beginning of of the next one. And, um, you know, it can kind of feel like a no man's land. And um, so, but, but we're glad you're here. You know, it's, The title of our series has been, our subtitle has been, Already Not Yet. Well, this is one of those times of the year, isn't it? Already the year's over, but the new one hasn't begun. Uh, Just so you know, uh, coming up in the new year, we're going to be taking a break next week from our Exodus series, and Pastor James is going to be giving um, sort of a a New Year's message, and then we're going to be further diverting from the Exodus series and going to take a look uh, in a deeper way and a fresh look at our DNA as a church, and Pastor James and I are excited about that. But like I said, this time can be a little a little weird. Like maybe you've had too many calories over the past few days, so this morning you're, you're like uh, like carbohydrate coma in here. Um, maybe you're weary from this past year, man. Like the the world's been a crazy place. Life has been a little crazy. Maybe you feel like the fog of war. You know, you're just. I'll just try to make it through, just try to make it through. I hope 2022 will be great, Uh, but today uh, I'm not feeling great or I'm a little tired. Maybe you're a little jaded. People can get jaded with God during this season, and things can kind of seem a little plastic or a little um, fake. Well, today we're in a passage that, if we pay attention, is like a cool drink of water to the face, right like it is uh, if we pay attention, man, it'll it'll shake us out of our lethargy today. it'll it'll wake us up and I've titled the time of our uh, pa- or the sermon of our time together. How can I say that? I've titled our message today. Awesome God and he, I'm not awesome by the way. He, he is awesome. Our passage takes place on Mount Sinai. And what the people experience, or at the foot of Mount Sinai as well, what the people experience is something that no human have, had ever experienced up until that point, and no human has experienced this sort of thing since then. Um, this will get their attention, and if we pay attention ourselves today, it will get our attention uh, and wake us up. Let's pick up in Exodus 19. We're going to read the first eight verses for now, and we'll stop and, and look at that a little bit, and then we'll finish up. So says, in the third month... "'After the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, "'on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. "'When they set out from Rephidim, "'they came to the wilderness of Sinai "'and camped in the wilderness, "'and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. "'Moses went up to God, "'and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, "'Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob "'and tell the sons of Israel, "'You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians.' And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel." So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Okay, let's stop there for now. So we see the setting here. Again, Israel moves out from Rephidim where they had fought the Amalekites and they're camped at the base of Mount Sinai. You may remember that Mount Sinai was... The place where Moses had encountered God at the burning bush. And I'll have up on the screen a picture of one of the most likely candidates for the actual Mount Sinai. Uh, it's considered one of the most likely candidates because it's right near a place where uh, we talked about a few weeks ago where uh, many consider the rock of Horeb to be, where God split the rock, water came gushing out. Later, we'll see also that there's a place here that looks uh, near here that looks very. Uh, very much like there was a place where they worshiped the golden calf. And we'll see reasons for that. There's a place near here that uh, could have very well been Moses' altar as well. Uh, but here you see it on Google Earth. This place is called locally Jabal al-Malak, which really literally means the burned mountain. And if you go up there, the top of this mountain has literally been burned. This place out in the middle of the desert was once quite literally on fire. Again, these pieces of evidence for me are quite compelling, but the Bible doesn't give us the coordinates as to where Mount Sinai was, right? Um, so we don't know for sure, but the point being that these are real events that happened to real people when they encountered the real God who's actually there, right? So then we see in verses three through eight there, God kind of gives them a reminder. He, gives, he starts uh, instructing Moses, telling them what to do. He said, like, look, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. Now, what, what, what would that make you think? God said, now you saw what I did to the Egyptians, right? Right. So, oh, OK, I hear you. I got you. OK, then he says, but you also saw how I delivered you. Right. Um, he says, I bore you out on eagles wings. God's painting a picture for them, says, listen, he this is a picture of the flight out of Egypt. Quite, quite literally, God um, took them from one place, miraculously delivered them to another place. And the point being, when God says, I bore you on eagles wings, is that you didn't do this yourself. God says, I did this. I am your deliverer says the Lord. They couldn't have possibly done it themselves, but God bore them on eagles' wings. And it says in our text that they are separated as God's possession, that God was bringing them not only out of Egypt, not just from a a thing, but He's bringing them to a thing, a person Himself to be His own possession. He's not just delivering them from their bondage so they can be free and do whatever they want, He's delivering them from their bondage so they can be free and do what they ought, right? There's a big difference in that. So he brought them to out of slavery and to himself. Just the same is true for you if you've placed your, your faith in Jesus. Jesus saved you from yourself. <laughs> uh, saved me from myself, for sure. Um, delivered us from our sins, but saved us not just from something, to something, to himself. Um, God didn't save us just to help us Avoid hell. Colossians chapter one verse thirteen says, "For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son." So we are now. If your your faith is in Jesus, you're his disciple. He's made you new. You're in the kingdom. You're in the kingdom of Christ. He is our King. He is our ruler. He is our owner, really. And he delivered us from darkness into the light. How do we know? Because he is the light, right? If we get Jesus, we get the light. He's delivered us to Himself. So I want to pause here for a second. It says that, I want to talk about what it means to be the people of God, because God says in this passage that the whole earth is mine. We got that. But He also tells the Israelites, you will be my special possession. So what does that mean? They, they are, we call them, these are the chosen people, the people of God. And there's a very real sense in that, in that way that the Israelites, all the Israelites, are the people of God. They are the people that God chose to uh, reveal Himself to the world. Um, They are the people through whom God would do miraculous signs, as we've been reading about in the book of Exodus, Um, and, and even prior to there in the book of Genesis. God would confirm their message, and their message was that there's only one living and true God. His name is Yahweh, and beside Him there is no other, right? That was the message Of the Israelites, and God confirmed their message that He is indeed the only living God, the only true God, creator, sustainer of all else that exists, right? That was the message, the revelation that He had given to the Hebrews, and He confirmed it with miracles. So they would be the people then that God the Father would send the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who would be born as a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, so that all who put their trust in Him will be saved. We just celebrated that yesterday, right? The, the advent, the coming of the Messiah. And that's why it's indeed great news to all people, right? Great news. Uh, so that's one sense of what it means to be the people of God, right? This is a, this is a, um, a biological lineage of people through whom God, biologically, God the Father sent the Son, God the Son to be born as a man. Uh, but there's an even truer sense, a deeper sense, a more meaningful sense, a sense that applies to us about what it means to be the people of God. You see, not every um, not, Is- not every Israelite was truly of God. Now, didn't I just say that all the Israelites were the people of God? I did in that sense, but not all of them truly were people of God. Um, think about it. Some of them perhaps most of them, were not even worshipers of Yahweh. They didn't worship Yahweh. We all know this because uh, when we get back into Exodus, after our topical series, we're going to see that they were even creating their own false gods to perform lewd acts at an altar in worship to a a made-up pagan deity that they had created with their own hands. Clearly, these are not worshipers of Yahweh, even though they were in and among biologically the chosen people. These are not the people of God who are worshiping false gods. Did you know that everyone in history, Jew and Gentile, becomes a person of God the same way? The same, it's not how you're born. It's not what family you live in. It's not what church you attend. It's not how many books you read. It's none of that kind of stuff. They are are saved, and we are saved by grace through faith in God's provision of the Messiah, right? For for the sake of our sins, for payment of our sins. They look forward to what God would provide in the Messiah. We look back to what God did provide in the Messiah. And today, on this side of history, we even know His name. His name is is Jesus, the Savior of the world. Uh, So back to our text, God's chosen people uh, were chosen by God in this sense to be a blessing to the world. And being the people of God, if you're a note taker, being the people of God involves being his representatives. Again, they were not saved to be a people unto themselves, enjoying like their special relationship with God to the exclusion of the rest of the world. They were supposed to represent God to the rest of the world in an attempt to bring them to God, right? They were supposed to be intermediaries, introducing people to the real God who's actually actually there. In other words, The blessing of being the people of God, a kingdom of priests, comes with the privilege and the responsibility uh, that God had promised to Abraham in Genesis 12. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. They were a kingdom of priests. You know what priests do? Priests bring people closer to God. That's what priests do. Priests priests serve as an intermediary, right? Right? And Jesus, that's why Jesus is the ultimate high priest. Now there's only one intermediary between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Right? But symbolically, here, priests bring people closer to God. They dispense God's truth, they dispense God's grace, they give God's mercy to people. Israel was called to this specific task to, to be uh, God's representative people on the earth. Well, exactly how are they supposed to do that? Our text doesn't tell us, but if we look at the Old Testament, in a larger scope, we can see four ways, again, if you're a note taker, that they were supposed to carry out God's mission for them. And as I share these with you, I want you to pay attention because remember I said there's one way to be God's chosen people. That's like the biological way, but even all of those are not God's people. But spiritually, if you're God's people, if your faith is in the Lord Jesus, God's payment for your sin, right, uh, then you're God's people. And as I share these ways that God's people are supposed to interact with the world, you'll see that they apply to all God's people. They apply to us, is what I'm saying. They apply to us, Reach Life Church. So I want you to pay attention. We, if we are God's covenant people, we'll see some parallels with ourselves in Israel. Well, first, Israel was supposed to be an example to the other nations. And we'll see this in just a few weeks when God lays out uh, the Ten Commandments and those sorts of things. They were supposed to tell people what, who God really is, what it really looks like to serve God, what what God's character is, and how that should inform our lives. And they're supposed to live a certain way. Uh, Israel was supposed to proclaim God's truth, right? They were supposed to help other people accept God. This is what the uh, Old Testament prophets were all about. We're going to be reading the Old Testament this year, right? And you're going to see prophet after prophet after prophet go to people, repent, trust in the Lord. There's only one God, His name is Yahweh, right? They're, They're God's representatives To the people. Well, also Israel was supposed to intercede for the rest of the world. Israel had the uh, sacrificial system. We'll see that later, uh, as as we get into the Old Testament. That sacrifices were were not to um, they don't abolish sin. Grace and faith uh, handle that, Um, but they recognize our sin. And they 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 were they were supposed to say, "We're looking forward, God, to what you're going to provide. You're going to provide the Messiah." And those sacrifices represented that. And then finally, Israel was to keep the promises of God. They were the possessors of the word. They were the possessors of the revelation from God. They had seen these miracles. They, had the, they were living out the scriptures, and later we were, were going to be writers of the scriptures. Um, so you can hopefully see how these things parallel, not, not uh, perfectly with us, but certainly apply to us, all of us, who are in a right and loving and saving relationship with God through the work and person of Jesus are too to live as examples, are we not? Sure, in the world. We too are supposed to proclaim the gospel and invite other people to come to Jesus and be saved. In, in that sense, we're a kingdom of priests. You know, we teach here at Reach Life that every believer is a minister. Like, James and I aren't, like, holy people. We're people, right? You guys are ministers as well. You are representatives of God on the earth. Can you imagine? You, when you bring grace into a person's life in the name of Jesus, you are an instrument of God, of His grace to that person. You're a dispenser of grace and mercy and help and love and truth to people. We, too, are supposed to proclaim those things, um, in the world around us. We too are supposed to intercede. We pray. How many of you know uh, someone in life, whether they're a coworker or a teammate or a family member who doesn't follow the Lord, but when the chips are down in life, they come to you and want you to pray with them? It happens to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. People like, man, I don't know, would, uh, would you pray? For me? I bet if you ask, if you see someone struggling and you ask, would you mind if I pray for you? inevitably they say yes. I've had very few people ever turn me down to pray for them. So we too are, are to intercede for those around us, and we too are to uphold the Word of God. The Word of God, Do you guys know that the world is a dark place? Do you realize that we carry the light? Not just inwardly, through the Spirit of God, but in a book, God has revealed Himself, right? It tells us how to live, it tells us how life works best. It, there's all kinds of stuff, and it's the Word of God. Right, and we care, we're the keepers of the Word of God. What happens if we fail to keep the Word of God ourselves? Jesus says, if, if, the, if the light is darkness, how much greater is the darkness? Right. So we too are to be keepers and upholders of the Word of God. Um, we'll, we'll unpack all of these as we get uh, further into the series. And then in verse 8, the people said, so they have been given these mandates. This is what God's expecting of the people. What do the people say? God says, "You've seen what I've did to the Israelites. You've seen how I or to the Egyptians. You've seen how I delivered you, Israelites. Here's what I want you to do." And the people say, in verse eight, "We will do." Emphatically, we will do. This is a public, formal commitment before God. Notice it wasn't just the elders, was it? that entered into a covenant with Yahweh. The people, it says, the text says, the people all responded together. We will do everything, (laughs) my goodness, Uh, the Lord has said. Now, since there are literally hundreds of thousands of people here, this is suggesting that first, God gave the commands down to Moses. Moses uh, was wise because Jethro had taught him, passed these out to other people. The people took them to... The masses, the masses said, yes, we will do. Unanimously, they took that decision back to the elders. The elders took it to Moses, and Moses took it to God, it says. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Now, this is a. This seems like a weird, long, convoluted process, doesn't it? Like, w- why? Is it because God somehow can't communicate to masses of people at once? Can he do that? He can, of course, of course, he could. God could like speak in their minds. Will you do this? And they would say yes. And you say, okay, cool. It would be over. Why would God have them go through this cumbersome process? It wasn't because God's limited. It wasn't because he was uh, having to be told something he didn't already know. Not at all. Uh, the the formality of this process, the um, cumbersome, the the tedious nature of it was meant to remind them that they're not just dealing with the elders. They're not just dealing with Moses, they're dealing with God himself. And so there's a formality to it. The point was uh, that God is not just approachable approachable by everyone. God is greater. And let's be honest, he said, you you saw what I did to the Egyptians. God is not only greater, he's more dangerous than anyone or anything they've ever seen. And he's, so he's asking them in a very slow, methodical cadence, a process to consider this commitment that they're making to him. So Yahweh would only hear their words of affirmation, their agreement to the covenant through his chosen representative, Moses. And then Moses brought the words to Yahweh. So I want you to pause and think about it for a minute Why would God make his people walk through this very deliberate process? Again, it seems tedious. It's because, if you're a note taker, this thing is a process. It is. It's the point. It's not the kind of thing um, that I would normally do, uh, have you say things out loud, but I want to hear you say it. This thing is a process. Let me hear you say it. This thing is a process. Well, maybe you can relate. Have you, have you said in your prayers to God, why God? why I, I'm trying to repent of my sin. I want to grow spiritually. And so here I am, grow me spiritually. Shazam, right? Nope, nope. This is the real God we're dealing with. It's a process. There are things involved. There are things involved. Why is spiritual growth a long, drawn, anybody can relate besides me. Spiritual growth is hard. You think physical working out is hard, spiritual working out is hard, right? Reading your Bible is hard. Denying your flesh is hard, right? Like getting along with other Christians who are sinners like you are is hard, right? Um, And so we may feel like God is like making us jump through hoops. Well, I assure you, it's not because God does not know how to communicate or that God is not powerful enough to change us. He's, God does not play games. God knows how to communicate. With the Israelites, he was teaching them something about himself Himself, in the process, and he was teaching them something about themselves in the process. See, the truth is God is, not only knows how to communicate, he knows to whom he is communicating. People like us you know that God knows us better than we know ourselves? Like, we don't know the processes we need. We would try to shortcut the process or opt out of the process. Uh, Steve Cassell uh, did mine and Kelly's premarital counseling. Kelly and I thought we were awesome, and we should be exempt from premarital counseling, right? We're we're so cool. We're so good, man. Like, we love each other. Love is all we need. We love the Beatles, and... uh, so, thank you, folks, for my Beatles reference. Uh, but, but, you know, that process revealed some things. Steve very wisely walked us through. That process revealed some things about ourselves we didn't know. And it revealed some things about one another that we didn't know. The process was worth it. Well, because of his experience, Steve knew to whom he was communicating. <laughs> right? So he put us through a process. God, all the more, knows to whom he's communicating. And so he puts us through a process. He knows that, coming up on the screen, if we don't go through the process, we will miss the point and therefore miss the person of God because he is the point. He is the point. If we circumvent the process, we'll miss God. He knows that. And I hope we can know it and learn it too. We'll begin to look at the product of the process, like what do I get at the end, rather than the person that the process is supposed to draw us to. The, the product is God. He's the reward. We get a better relationship with Him through the process. Um, again, we're going to see that the Israelites try to circumvent the process. In just six weeks' time from this event here in our narrative, in the history, they're, they're going to be making calves to worship. Um, And that's easy for us to look at them and say, Israelites, man, you guys are stupid. Well, well, uh, hang hang on. (laughs) When when we get there, uh, we'll see that, man, in our own hearts, we can see the mighty work of God in our lives, Um, see what he did to Egypt, see how he delivered us. We're free. Thanks, God. I'm free. Don't appreciate it. I'll call you on the next one, right? And this I mean, we're, gonna, we're all contemplating, man, 2022, what am I going to do? Well, we're contemplating right now some things, what it's going to look like, the commitments we're going to make to the Lord. Um, let's just be sure not to turn away from God if he helps us with our commitments, okay? Uh, God has done great things in your life this past year. Even if it's been tough, I'm telling you, you're alive. He's done great things. And if we died, we'd be with Jesus in heaven if our faith is in Him. God has done great things. Um, so let's learn from history from the Israelites. Um, let's learn from uh, maybe our own history and uh, not be duplicitous, be double-minded, two-faced with God. Um, hopefully we can learn to just abhor that in ourselves, and God will deliver, deliver us from that as well. Um, so verse 10, the Lord goes on to tell Moses to consecrate the people. The process is is one of consecration. We don't use that word a lot, consecration, to consecrate something. And it just means to set it apart. Remember God said, this this is mine. The whole earth is mine, but but you, you are my special people. You are my, you're the apple of God's eye, as it were. Um, It means to purify, dedicate, to make holy. So they were supposed to wash their clothes, They were supposed to represent their character being washed. They were uh, supposed to have three days of no marital relations. Celibacy would mean that they were denying their flesh, right? Consecrating themselves to the Lord. Uh, So by having them perform these outward acts, God is creating an inner posture in their heart. God is setting them apart for himself. It's to help them recognize the internal thing that was going on, the fact that they're being set apart. So that's the process, right? When God has you go through these things, reading my Bible, repenting of sin, uh, taking my flesh under control, um, getting along with other Christians, um, fasting, uh, praying, those sorts of things. When God's having us walk through those things, these outward acts, not only reflect the inward thing that's going on, but, but notice, man, when, when I bow, I'm automatically humbled a little bit. I'm lower than the rest of you, right? When we bow before the Lord outwardly, I'm not saying like teaching you how to pray, but when we bow before the Lord outwardly, there's something inwardly that happens as well. It's a reminder of, of our lowliness before God and His mercy to us that we need. Um, so these outward things are made to show them these inward things. And, and this is awesome, that God is showing them, the, them these things and drawing them to himself. Um, it means they're getting to be his people. That's a privilege. That's an honor. Uh, and again, today, that can be our honor as well in Jesus. Well, let's pick up in, in verse 16. Continue to work our way through here. Let's just read these verses together. They're not out loud. You, know, you can just follow along. Uh, So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and, and, and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down, warn the people so that they do not break through to the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, or else the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. You warned us, saying, set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it.' Then the Lord said to him, go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, or he will break forth upon them. So Moses went down and told them. Like I said, this is a, a, a glass of water to the face. This, this had to be a, a, a frightening thing. The Israelites will mark this day for the rest of their history. Deuteronomy 4 says, The day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me, all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children, and you come near and stood at the foot of the mountain. And the mountain burned with fire to the very heart of the heavens darkness, cloud, and thick gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. This is referenced uh, several different times. In the Bible. I'll read one more. Hebrews 12. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, or darkness and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. I want to I make some last thoughts here about what it means to fear the Lord. As we're moving forward, as we're looking to, the, uh, to enter into the not yet, I want us to learn some things about fearing the Lord. I heard somebody say one time that the smoke and lightning on the top of Mount Sinai was not so the people could enjoy the show. Um, it's a display of God's power. Here from A.W. Tozer, great theologian. He says, No one can know the true grace of God who has not first known the fear of God. It seems to me that we have lost some of that reverential fear. Sometimes we are overly and inappropriately familiar with the Almighty. Sometimes we relate to God as the great gift giver in the sky. And when we do this, We diminish who He is. Before we meet with God, we must remind ourselves that we are about to meet with God. So God is holy, right? We are sinners. Uh, We are in need of grace. He is all-powerful. We are weak. He is all-wise and knows all things. We don't know a whole lot. (laughs) He's creator. We are created. He's the standard by which we measure our lives. He's not defined By us, we're defined by Him. So you may say, well, wait a minute, what's in it for me? Why should I fear God? Well, um, uh, I I had a guy, I was talking to a guy about Jesus who does not know Jesus, and he asked that that kind of question. And the first thing I would say is that if if we're asking why I should fear God because of what's in it for me, you've missed the point. (laughs) We've missed the point. Uh, consider other relationships. If I if I say, why should, why should I um, seek to treat Kelly a certain way uh, unless it's going to benefit me in a certain way? She doesn't deserve that. Why should, why should I treat God in a certain way unless it benefits me in a certain way? Well, he doesn't deserve that either. Other people aren't means to an end. God is not a means to an end. Uh, we're, we're, certainly not. Um, so, you know, John, John Piper says, uh, I'll paraphrase him, he says that if we, um, if we are God-centered because we think God is man-centered, then we are man-centered and not God-centered. Um, so, again, if, if we're looking to God just because of what He can provide for us, that's not really fear, is it? That's not really fear. Doesn't the, the, the user... Put themselves above the person they're using, and that what that's all about. Well, if you're using God, you're placing yourself above, above God. So before we get to um, some benefit, there are some benefits to fearing God. But real briefly, I want to show what exactly it means to fear the Lord. If you're a note taker, it can mean terror. God says, "You saw what I did to the Egyptians." It can mean like in a frightening situation. It can mean dread. Deuteronomy 2:25. If you want to write that down, it can mean terror. It can also mean uh, respect. Um, this is how like uh, a servant fears their master. Joshua 24:14 says, "Now therefore, the Lord, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in." Faithfulness, right? Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt serve the Lord. It could also mean reverence or awe. Remember if you've read Isaiah, this is Isaiah, woe to me. Isaiah is having his vision of the Lord. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. Reverence and awe. So fear of the Lord can be a combination of all of those things. Right, Respect, fear, honor, awe, those are the points, both for the Israelites and for us today. Uh, but again, as I said, there's good that comes when we fear the Lord. If you're a note taker, this is the last thing we'll end. Fear of the Lord comes with some really, really good things. Proverbs nine ten says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This is where true wisdom starts. You want to, you want to make uh, your life look different from this point out? You're considering some changes you need to make? You're going to have to start with fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Um, and I would add, seeing what we've seen of the Lord, if we don't fear Him, from what we've seen in Exodus, that's hubris on our part. We have delusions about ourselves <laughs> and our greatness, right? We should fear the Lord. Um, I could say more about that, but but we really should fear the Lord. So that's where the beginning of wisdom is. You know what wisdom is? You want to navigate life well. You want to navigate life better in 2022. You want to make wise decisions? Well, then begin seeing yourself for who you really are and seeing others for who they really are. You know how you do that? First seeing God for who he really is. And that'll give you fear and awe and reverence and servitude toward the Lord. It's the Proverbs 14 says that the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. It turns you away from the snares of death. It turns us away from the snares of death. Well, how does it do that? Do you know that the Lord is the author of life? Do the math with me. Do the math. Hang in, wake up. Do the math. If we want life and love and peace, and, whole, and wholeness, and contentment, and joy. we want those things? The Lord is the author of those things. If we reject Him, guess, guess what we get? Death. And bleakness, and brokenness. That's, just, that's the math. That's just how it works. We want God, God's benefits, but we don't want God. The, here's the crazy thing. The best part of this whole thing is that this awesome God wants you to draw near to Him. He really, really does. He wants us to draw near to Him. That is amazing news. Here, Hebrews 4, 16. Now, this is the majesty of God, awesomeness God, fearsome God, destroyed the Egyptians, tells the people, don't come up this mountain or I will break out on you and kill you. Listen to what Hebrews says, listen. Let us draw, therefore, near with confidence to the throne of what? Grace. And receive mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. How is this possible? How is this possible that God says, if you come near to me, you'll die? Yet here, the author of Hebrews says, draw near to the throne of God. And receive grace, receive mercy. How is this possible? His name is Jesus, people. Jesus makes this possible. Not only does God offer you to draw near, He makes it possible for you to do so. He will carry you on eagle's wings to the throne. He makes it possible. This this fear of God should teach us something about Him. He alone is God. This truth about God in Hebrew should teach us something about ourselves. Can't come to him on our own, but man, he's made a way. He's made a way. This awesome God who owns the earth and everything in it and can indeed destroy us. Jesus says, don't fear those who can destroy your body alone, but him who can destroy both your body and soul in hell. This this God says it doesn't have to be that way. You can get like mercy. Mercy. You can get grace. You can get wisdom for living. You can be fully human and live life as it's truly meant to be with the Lord because of Jesus.